Welcome to the Colors of Fatherhood podcast. Here, we shine a positive light on fathers of color and seek out their stories of trial and triumph while gaining insight on what it means to raise children in this country we call America. A quote from Dr. Franklin Pittman states, Fathering is not something perfect men do, but something that perfects the man. And now, your illustrious host, Lim Gonzalez. What's good, everybody? It's your boy, Lim Gonzalez, a.k.a. Saint, and this is the Colors of Fatherhood podcast. So we always have to have a special guest. Today is no exception. He is an Army veteran. He is the Commissioner Commission on Equity in Lacey, Washington. He's a cancer survivor, and he's an amazing husband and father. Ladies and gentlemen, John Hegwood. What's good, sir? Hello, hello. How's everything, man? Uh, you know, it's going great over here. How about yourself? Man, it's going good. I can't complain. I cannot complain. I know this is an audio-only podcast, but if you guys would have saw John's face, like he has the applause and he had this big smile, and I'm like, is he going to say something? Are you just going to bask in it? I thought it was great. It was great. It was great. I do appreciate you uh, you doing this, being part of the podcast. Obviously, we saw each other through the Minority Vets performance that happened, and I'm so glad because you are my first military veteran that I'm interviewing for this podcast, so I really appreciate you jumping on for this. The first thing I need to ask, of course, because this is about fathers of color, how did your life change when you first became a father? Yeah, that's um, a really long answer, but I'll try to keep it short. So I was actually a teenage father. Um, I don't know if you could tell, but uh, I'm fairly young still. I was even younger whenever I became a dad. I was uh, 16, actually, when my son was born. Okay. And so, um, yeah, obviously still doing the high school thing and, you know, as a teenager kid myself, really, whenever I had my own child. And it's really one of those things that, you know, you either put up or shut up and uh, it made me grow up really quick. I bet it did. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, we've been trucking ever since then and doing great. But yeah, there's a lot of challenges, of course, uh, with being a teenage father and still trying to juggle going to school and like maintaining a social life and, you know, doing well in life and, as well, because you kind of get a little bit of a setback, I guess, of course, because you're a little bit ahead on the whole having a kid thing compared to having a career thing right. when you're that young having a child. I mean, obviously having any kid um, to anybody is life changing, especially at that age, you know, my completely pivoted my life in a different direction. And I think that I'm the better for it because it's made me who I am today. What What would you say kept you grounded? Because I mean, obviously 16 is wildly young to have a child. Uh, I know when I was 16, I <laughs> couldn't even, I mean, I'm trying to think with 16, my mental state, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I was yeah. still trying to, uh, try to count money. You know what I'm saying? Not burn my check <laughs> on Twinkies or, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> Just imagine, I'm just talking about my mental state during that time, but imagining having a child that you have to support and you have to be yeah. there for and all of that. What was the catalyst that caused you to make sure that you took care of business? Yeah, I mean, that's really what it was about, making sure that my son um, and at the time fiance were taken care of. And so, you know, I was just hustling. Basically, I worked two jobs while going to high school. Mm -hmm. um, luckily, I was far enough ahead of my studies at that point that I could kind of cut my schedule back a little bit to allow for more working. But yeah, I was doing school from 7.30 in the morning until 2, 3 in the afternoon. Then I was working from 5 o'clock or so until midnight every single day, just, you know, making a living, trying wow. to put food on the table. Mm -hmm. So, um, but yeah, no, I mean, it's all, it's all about the kid. It always has been. So everything I've done since then has been to provide a better life for him. And we're, I mean, it's just showing, I guess I'm, I'm doing something now. So... <laughs> 
<laughs> doing something, doing something. Um, let's talk about uh, obviously your career uh, in the military because uh, I really want to see how that works, you know, in being a father or being a parent in general. We know, well, when I say we, me and you, I've been in the military and you have as well. <clears throat> We're both veterans at this point, but I've never had a child in the military. And I know people, friends of mine or acquaintances that were military, you know, kids, their parents were in the military. I know they moved a lot, you know, depending on where their parents would station. So a lot of times they didn't have close friends because whenever they, you know, become close to somebody two, three years later, they got to move somewhere else. So can you talk about what that was like um, being in the military and having a child? Yeah. Um, so obviously having the child um, was kind of a part of the impetus for me joining the military in the first place. You know, I was tired of working dead end jobs and, you know, the the health benefits that came with it, even though I was a manager at the time, you know, I made decent money for the area, but it just wasn't cutting it. And so I looked at the military as an opportunity to get out of the town, you know, and to do something bigger and better for myself um, and for my son. And of course, the health benefits that come with it whenever you have a dependent. I only did my four years and then I got out of the military. So I don't have a lot of experience with, you know, the moving around and all that stuff. I mean, I do because my father was in the Navy for 23 years. Oh, really? Um, so I know it as, as a dependent myself, but um, with myself and my son, the one thing I did discover when I got into the military was that the military is very difficult to be in if you're a single parent. From my experience, I'm from a single father, and I know plenty of single moms that are still, you know, trucking along in the military as well. Um, in my case, it was difficult to even get full custody of my son without a family care plan. And uh, that's actually one of the reasons why I ended up getting out was because uh, I didn't have a spouse that I could depend on um, to create my family care plan for my son. So my choices were either to stay in the military or, you know, to choose my son. And obviously, like, that's not even a contest. My son's going to win every time. Um, and so there's a lot of complications actually brought about with, um, yeah, trying to be a single parent and make that work. I know a lot of people that I've known personally, um, specifically like single mothers, they'll like have their parents move in or mm -hmm. they'll say they'll have their parents be a part of their family care plan. Uh, at the time, that wasn't an option for me. So, um, yeah, I was kind of forced to get out because of that. But I mean, that's OK. Right. I'm still greater for the experience um, and right. it definitely helped boost my career. But, um, yeah, being a single parent in the military was very difficult for sure. Uh, I met a lot of great people, though. Um, and they definitely took care of us, so I can't complain on that front. Um, there was a lot of challenges, though, that are unique to the military life, as you mentioned. Um, and trying to raise a son um, and being a single parent and then, you know, issues with, like, custody between myself and his mm -hmm. mother. Mm -hmm. um, and then trying to get the military to, uh, I guess, financially support and, you know, getting, trying to get the legal assets of that figured out with the court system and all that stuff was also challenging. Surprisingly, actually, there there was a lot of legal help that I got from the military, but at the same time, because of the military, there was a lot of weird roadblocks that I ran into. Like, for example, I had a weird catch-22 where I had the opportunity to get full custody of my son, but the state that had or that was trying to give me the custody required that I had a place to live of my own first. But because you're in the military, you have to have a barracks room unless you have custody orders, mm -hmm. um, which then that'll allow you or you're married, of course, but I wasn't married. So if you have to, if you have full custody orders, um, then you can live off base, you know, not have to worry about where your BH is going to come from. So you can actually have housing. Mm -hmm. But it was a weird catch 22 because the state wouldn't let me have custody of him unless I had my own place. But the military wouldn't let me live off base and have a place off base without the custody, orders. I had the custody orders right ah that's the case so that was that put me in a really tough spot and again if the choice is the army or my son it's not even a contest right so. as it should be as it should be sure. 
Sure. Interesting. Interesting. You spoke about your your father being in the military as well um, yep. for 23 years uh, in the Navy. What was your experience like with him? Did you have the move around situation? Um, we did. Situation? Talk about that. Yeah. So I'm actually third generation military and potentially fourth, but it's kind of hard to prove it that far back. But yeah, so my, my grandfather was military. He was also Navy. Uh, my dad was military. They were both career retired 20 plus years. Um, needless to say, whenever I went to the Army recruiting office and joined up, they looked at me a little sideways like, what are you doing? The Navy office is still there. Go talk to those right. people. You know, and to be fair, I my, my dad made it a point to drag me in there. So, you know, I humbled him and our, I, I like gave him a chance to give his little spiel and all that. I'm like, you know, I really like dry land and uh, I've been on ships. I've seen what their quarters look like. Um, I mean, I've been in closets that are bigger than those beds. So mm. I'm super good on I'm that. Good. Yeah, I'm good. Little did I know, of course, you know, there's a downsides with the Army, but given the choice... I ended up with the army instead. So um, yeah, but growing up, uh, we definitely moved around a lot. Uh, my dad was actually in the Naval Reserves for most of his career. Okay. So even though I was born in Chicago, um, because my dad was stationed at the time, pretty much the rest of my childhood, we were just moving around to different parts of Texas, um, with the exception of Las Vegas, which I know seems like a really weird place to get stationed if you're Navy. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you know this about Las Vegas, but it's pretty far from any water. It's so, the desert. <laughs> it's it's really literally the desert. The desert. Right. <laughs> I mean, it, it helped a lot growing up. It's kind of like that awkward kid um, that didn't really have a lot of friends. So every time you move, you kind of got to reinvent yourself. Mm-hmm. And it was always like a good three or four years, uh, like clockwork, of course, that you got to move to a different place. So you meet new people, new friends, and, you know, for better or for worse, um, you know, you're effectively a new person or you get the chance to reinvent yourself with your peers. Right. So given those chances, you know, kind of like it was a learning experience where, okay, this didn't work out at the last town that I lived in. Let's try this in the new town and see you know, if it works out. Spoiler alert, it didn't work out. I still was very unpopular, but that's all good. <laughs> it's all good. To the past. It's all good. To the past. Yeah. No, I, I've always wondered that because my father was in the military. He uh, actually served in Vietnam, but okay. he was he was done with the military before I even came around, uh, before he got married, all of that. So I didn't you oh. know, experience, you know, being in a household that, you know, where he was in the military when I was around. So, but I do know it can be very challenging when you're raising a family. And I can imagine, you know, in your case, like you said, being a single father and having that catch 22 situation, I'm sure you would have rather been in the military because it is stable, especially for someone who's young and you want something that's secure. And, you know, it's going to because I know when I was in the military, I ended up being in for eight years. Most of it was reserves. But I remember going to basic training and a lot of the guys there, they literally were there for the stability. And so that's why they wanted to do it. So if you take the stability away. Then it's like, okay, well, what am I doing? Uh, especially if you know I can't, you know, raise my child in the way that I want to. So that makes perfect yeah. sense. That makes perfect. And you sense. know, you actually got me thinking too. Another point of note: I actually probably owe my existence to the Navy mm-hmm. or the military in general. So uh, I mentioned before that my grandfather was in the Navy and he was in right. for like twenty six years or something like that. Uh, he made it to like Master Chief or whatever E eight rank is in the Navy. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pretty sure it's Master Chief. Um, don't quote me. I'm in the Army. Okay, don't. Don't attack me, please. <laughs> no worries. No judgment here. Uh, <laughs> um, but no, so my dad was actually adopted out of the Philippines. And the only reason why he was adopted out of the Philippines is because that's where my grandparents were stationed at the time. Really? And so uh, obviously if that hadn't occurred, I either wouldn't be here or I physically wouldn't be here in the United States. I would probably be over in the Philippines. In the Philippines. Right. Wow. So yeah. Interesting. 
Yeah, that's a weird, weird to think about it that way. But yeah, no, I really do, I guess, effectively, right, owe my existence to the military, in yeah. essence. In many facets, uh, I see that. Yeah. I want to talk about, you know, having, being in a family situation and the challenges that you have with raising, you said you have a son. I want to talk about the challenges that you may have faced. Obviously growing up, we talked earlier about you being very young, 16 when he was born. I want to talk more about going into now and what you've been dealing with. I don't know how it is now, but some of the challenges that you face being a person of color and then having a child that's of color. Definitely um, less so, I guess, these days. Whenever we, whenever he was born, we lived in Texas at the time. I lived in like the Bible Belt of Texas, of course. And so it's not exactly known as being the most, I guess, racially literate place in the country. Mm-hmm. So a large part of that identity of myself of being a person of color, and I was always like misidentified, of course, too, because I'm obviously, I'm Filipino. But in Texas, because you're either, there's like a binary on a racial identity of either you're white or you're colored. And then the general for being colored is like you're Hispanic descent of some type of or another. Uh-huh. And so we would always get lumped in with them. And then, yeah, of course, all the challenges that, that brought apart, you know, there was definitely some challenging times economically uh, where my father retired. And then, you know, we were still living with them at the time whenever my son's mother was pregnant. Uh-huh. And, you know, we were temporarily homeless there for a while. And, uh, you know, like we couldn't afford like our electricity bills. So we didn't have any heat or power in our house for months on end and then you know there's other institutional barriers of course too right so like i tried to apply for jobs even when i got out of the military uh-huh. and i noticed that i kept running into roadblocks and i never understood why until later of course was like oh well i caught i clearly didn't come across right i didn't talk right or you know uh-huh. any of these other things and i never really had like the i guess awakening of realizing that oh like these parts that are happening to me is because of the racial identity that everybody else sees me as because i never like had a chance to even like take a step back and be like these different people that are treating me differently. It never occurred uh-huh. to me that was because of my racial identity. Huh. And, you know, obviously I had these experiences growing up, but I guess I never really even realized I was just completely clueless. You know, I just thought it was because of other factors like, oh, I'm not smart enough or I'm dumb right. or I didn't do well enough. You know, it must it's my fault, clearly, right? So like, you know, I was looking for like some way to blame myself without realizing the racial aspect that would obviously take part as well. Um, even in the military, surprisingly. And I want to say that, you know, it's gotten better for sure. But mm-hmm. I mean, the the military is a microcosm of our society. It is. And there's still a lot of racism that is alive and well in the military and homophobia while we're on the subject. Mm-hmm. So yeah, both yeah. of those things working against me. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, I and I want to talk about when you talked about um, the racism in the military, because I remember when I was, you know, there and I was super young. I was 18 when I went into basic training. And so I remember that what they were trying to do. And I I was kind of, I don't want to say I was too young to see it. And again, I was basic training. So a lot of, I'm just, you know, sensory overload, right? You're just trying to get by. You're just trying to, you know, you want to pass, you want to get out of that, get to your AIT, which is your tech school um, for the layperson to get, you know, what you're going to be doing in the military and then your duty assignment. And I was going to be straight reserves. So then I ended up coming back home after that. So I think a lot of what you're talking about racism, I don't think I was in it long enough to see it, but I know of other people that are in the military and, and um, that have experienced that full-time active duty, it's very, you know, apparent. It's very alive and well. And I know that they try to say, oh, we only see green. That's the whole mantra that they try to say, but that's not really what it is. It's kind of like a thin veil, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, talk, talk about that. I mean, because I think that it's definitely something that probably isn't addressed as enough, but it definitely should be addressed more. 
Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. There was definitely a lot of like casual racism, you know, like Mm -hmm. I would, you know, be witness to people like telling some of my fellow folks that were black that, you know, they're like an Oreo or the Asian folks or they're like a Twinkie and like nobody realizes how problematic or racist that kind of language is. And it just passes, right? Because nobody's Mm -hmm. there to call it out. Even when you do, you're that guy Mm -hmm. because you're like, why are we being like racist assholes? What what is this about? Like, why is this cool? Why are we laughing about it? It's not funny. Mm And, you know, and of course, you know, being in the minority, you either have two options, right? You, if you say something, then you become a troublemaker or you're problematic. But if you don't say something, then you're basically giving license to people continuing to be racist. Right. And making racist comments. And they may or may not realize that they are. Um, you know, I've, I've, there's been instances where I've called out people and they're just like, okay, who cares? Uh-huh. You know, they're not, they're not interested in changing their behavior or trying to become a better person than they were yesterday. And then there's other people that are just completely clueless or they just think, you know, it's harmless or, you know, what? I'll just learn to laugh. It's funny. Things are like, you know, and it's so, um, what's the word, like entrenched in our society, uh-huh. especially. And again, of course, the military is a microcosm of that. Um, and so, yeah, there's, like I said, I mean, the military is better than a lot of other organizations as far as like kicking it or nipping it in the butt mm-hmm. if it gets reported but that's if it gets reported right and then if right. it actually makes it to that escalation with like your eo commanders mm-hmm. or any of your program leaders that are in different units and then again if you are the one that has to report it you risk the chance of becoming that guy or ostracized by your unit and then you know the military is like well we got your back if you get any kind of like retaliation for reporting people but in practice mm-hmm. that's not actually the case all the time right and that's unfortunate because, I mean, we want people to, we want to encourage people to like step forward, speak for themselves. Like we want it known that like we're not putting up with this shit. The the culture still isn't quite there yet that, you know, it's not okay to be a racist in the military and right. against your fellow service member. But we're getting there. We're, we're definitely making progress. That's for sure. Well, that's good. I mean, that's really good to hear. It's one of those things like you, you would think like, oh, it shouldn't be because everybody, you know, you wear the uniform, all of that. And so everybody's supposed to be one that they preach that. But the fact that it's not that. And like you said, a lot of them just don't think that what they're saying is problematic. Right. They don't understand that. And it's important to be educated. And it's really dope that the company that you're with, with Minority Vets, and just being a part of that organization to kind of help with spreading awareness. Can you talk a little, I mean, you got the shirt. I, I see it. Can you talk about that? Because I think that since we're on that that topic, what how important that is to you? Yeah, Minority Veterans is an organization I started volunteering with earlier this year. Since I got through, you know, COVID has been a thing. And then right before that, I was still living with my cancer stuff. And and, you know, I finally was able to like feeling like able to take on some volunteer work again. And so I kind of just jumped in feet first and uh, we've been doing a lot of great stuff. Uh, even since before I came on board, we actually just celebrated our fourth birthday. Mm-hmm. So MVA was actually founded in the living room by our co-founders. And uh, since then, we've done a lot of great stuff. We've actually been doing a lot of advocacy work. Mm-hmm. We also have like community programming. Um, and then we also, of course, have like direct aid. So one of our bigger events that we're finally wrapping up is uh, like supply drops. Um, Whenever I actually first came on board, they did one here in Seattle at the Seahawks Stadium. Great stuff. You know, this was really like a week after I took over. And, you know, that day was like, okay, this is definitely an organization I want to be a part of. Because like just seeing the impact that we have on other veterans' lives by making, you know, and giving tangible direct aid with low barriers to veterans in need it's life-changing. And, and for a lot of those people, you know, like they, they were beside themselves with um, compassion. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it was a lot of it. It was pretty overwhelming, but yeah, we're, you know, we're all about helping out veterans in general, but of course, those that are historically underserved, which includes every facet of minorities, we're talking racial, mm-hmm. ethnic, gender minorities, um, sexual orientation uh, minorities, and then even um, religious minorities mm-hmm. are all that are included in, the, in our target demographic mm-hmm. that we're trying to serve. 
And um, a lot of our program is based around that. Again, we have the community stuff and we also do events. And it's just a really great place. Everybody that's with the organization, we're all here. Um, almost all of us are veterans. I think like we're in the 90 something percent of us are veterans. And of course, we have some allies or those that are like loosely affiliated with the military, like their their military spouses or their military brats, for lack of a better term. But anyway, yeah, we, we're all here and we're all about helping those veterans that are historically underserved. Um, it's mm. a really great organization. And like I said, that that time whenever we were at the Seahawks Stadium, and I've actually attended a few since then, and they just get better. It really is like exactly why I'm at with this organization and why I love what we're doing. It's awesome. No, that's super dope. That's super dope. I want to talk about going back to the blended family situation. So mm-hmm. you are currently not with your son's mother. He actually has two dads. And That's so right. can you talk about that and how that plays into raising your son? Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So my now husband and I met uh, while I was in the military, actually kind of on the way out really mm-hmm. uh, like the last year and change probably when I was in the military. So keep in mind, this was also some time ago. This was during Don't Ask, Don't Tell where him and I were both risking our careers just by being together. Yeah. We're actually coming up on our 10 year later this week, actually next week we're having our, no, excuse me, this weekend. We're having our 10th anniversary party. It's been a, an awesome ride. It's been a roller coaster, of course. There's been a lot of barriers that we've been having to overcome. Actually, even just getting my son um, and you know having him involved in our lives. Um, so I know I kind of touched on it earlier. Of course, there were some custody issues that we were having with my son's mother. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just want to like, as a side note, we're we're good now. Mm-hmm. My son's mother and I, like mm-hmm. we're both on the same page. But, uh, you know, initially, whenever we were trying to get custody of him, and this was whenever I was still in the military, even, of course, we have the military working against us because we're a same-sex couple. Mm-hmm. And then we were also trying to deal with the state of Texas at the time um, to try and coordinate, I guess, like a home study if effectively for us to get access or to get custody of him. And working across states from Washington State to Texas, and of course, there's a lot of like ingrained homophobia inside of that system, as well as race that we were trying to overcome at the same time. And I recall a conversation actually with one of the caseworkers and I, I just named it mm-hmm. and because, because they, they called me and they said that, that they were denying me custody. Um, and I asked why, and they're like, well, you're not in a stable relationship and you don't like, you're, you're about to get out of the military. So you don't know what your financial future looks like. And I'm like, okay, at the time we had been together, I think almost three years. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, I've been in a relationship with this person for almost three years now. Like, what do you mean? I'm not in a stable relationship. And they're like, well, you never mentioned that before. And I'm like, did it ever occur to you that there's a reason why I didn't mention this? Mm. <laughs> and they're like, well, we don't discriminate on the basis of sexual orientation, sir. And I'm like, okay, so I was like, I lived in that area for like 15 years, right? I'm well aware mm. of the culture of that region. Right. I'm like, you can't lie to me. I've lived there my entire life until now. Like, the, you can't tell me that homophobia doesn't exist in that state or in that region of the state. That's a flat out lie. There's no way that that's true. And she's like, well, no, we don't discriminate here at this agency. And I'm like, that may be so, at least in practice, but there's still unconscious bias. And it, I promise you, it's a factor. So yeah, anyway, uh, so outside of that, we have the whole don't ask, don't tell thing. And then um, even just like the marriage equality, for example, like even we, we've only been married uh, going on two years, or in three years, excuse me. Uh-huh. And a lot of people are like, well, you've been together for 10 years, but how come you've only been married three? And I'm like, well, for about six of those years, we couldn't even get married. <laughs> Uh-huh. And that's something that people don't even think about. Actually, I think I've had that conversation with about two or three different people in the last like few weeks, actually, even including my son's mother. And I mentioned it to her and she's just like, holy crap, I never thought about that before. And I'm like, right. Why would you? Because it doesn't impact you. But uh-huh. this was a thing that affected us. And, you know, we were just kind of dealing with it and trying to struggle through it. And, you know, it, it was just a given right to everybody else. But no, do you even realize that, oh, there's a whole group of people over here that this would impact. 
Here we are, though, you know, through all the trials and tribulations, we've been through a lot. And uh, I'm sure life has a lot more softballs to throw at us between, you know, now and whenever one of us isn't here any longer. But um, Ben, it's been an awesome ride for sure. Word. And you said your um, son has been able to participate. When you say participate, what do you mean in what regard? Yeah, sure. There's there's a few different things, I guess. Um, whenever we had first uh, started talks of trying to get full custody of him, and we had actually asked the social workers, you know, what recommendations they had on how do we, you know, discuss with our son at the time who was probably five years old, you know, how do you explain that your dad is gay and or you have two dads? Mm-hmm. And like, obviously something that's age appropriate, but then, you know, making sure that he realizes that this other person is in his life also in the same capacity that I am, if that makes sense. And, you know, her advice to us was, you know, just letting him realize that she's like, kids are a lot really intuitive. You would you'd be surprised, you know, even for as young as he was at the time, mm-hmm. like he'll ask questions and just a- answer them the best you can and go no further. And then he'll digest that information for several days or weeks. And then if he has other questions, he'll ask them. Um, so that's kind of what we've gone with. Mm-hmm. And, you know, of course, over the years, I mean, he's known David as long as he could remember anything because he's, we've been together for 10 years now. He just turned 14. Oh, okay. Last week, he just turned 14. So David's been in his life as long as he could remember. And, of course, he thinks of him like a dad now, but that wasn't always the case, at least at the time where we had first gotten together. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, so, you know, it was he was around us all the time. And then dealing with the state of Texas, of course, we our ability to see him because he was out of state was really limited, especially in recent years. We've been able to see him more and more regularly. And so by him participating in our lives as a same-sex couple, he's really a part of our lives in total. He has been the entire time, of course, but he hasn't always physically been here Mm. uh, because we've been sharing custody across state lines. And of course, the financial situation wasn't always as great either, especially whenever we were younger or especially whenever I first got out of the military, times were pretty tough then too. So we couldn't always afford, you know, a flight down to Texas to go and see him. And if we could, it was only for a few days a year, right? Right. Versus now he's with us full time. And he has been for the last probably three years, going on three years now. So, yeah. And again, I mean, this is home for him. And we're both his parents. You know, he knows exactly who we both are. And he still has his mother. And he knows who his mom is. And, you know, we're just a big, happy family. Word. For sure. Word. I want to talk about, shift gears a little bit, and talk about what you've adopted in raising your son that may differ from how you're raised. I know you talked about, obviously, your dad was in the Navy, and so I'm sure the proclivity that he took with you being in the military full time could have some bearing, maybe him being absent at times when he had to go on duty or what have you, when he's um, deployed or what have you. But I want to see if uh, you've taken what your dad has taught you, or do you go a different route? I would say probably a little bit of both. I've definitely used my father's methods of raising myself and my brother Uh and using it to inform who I am as a parent. I feel like for most people, it's probably difficult to get away from who your parents were. Um, I know that I catch myself saying, oh my God, I'm my dad (laughs) way more often than I'd like. Uh, Like real talk, right? (laughs) Truth time. No, but also um, I've also made it a point to be or to try and be more open-minded as a parent. Uh, Obviously, we live in a different time than whenever I was growing up. Right. Um, and, and my dad was a single parent too. I should probably throw out that. So he was doing this all by himself as well, mm. raising two kids on his own in the military. And so I am not a single parent anymore. Obviously, I'm married. I have a partner who's great, wonderful, and a great parent, probably better than I am, honestly, for being completely honest. Mm. My partner has got me beat. Um, and so, you know, we, we have the opportunity to kind of like talk to each other, or like bounce ideas off of each other. 
Um, and then we also, of course, approach different parenting issues from two different perspectives. And so we always end up hashing it out. And then, of course, there's sometimes where either of us have to make a decision kind of like on the fly that one of us might disagree with later. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we've made it a point that we're not going to disagree with each other right then. And then, you know, like we'll talk about it after the fact and then, you know, try to like work something out, especially like, you know, if emotions get heated because we're definitely in like the teenager phase right now. Mm-hmm. So um, there's been a lot of challenging times recently dealing with a, a teenager. <laughs> Woo, a lot of times, a lot of oh, challenging yeah. times. Teenagers yeah. are no joke. Um, but we're getting through it. Um, one of those actually being that we've, we've used, uh, cause we're both military, of course, mm-hmm. uh, I'm a veteran. He's still active. We're using that to inform our parenting. So, you know, I don't want to be the kid or the parents that's just beating their kids senseless because they don't listen. Mm-hmm. It's never been my style. And so we use a lot of like the military training. So we use like corporal punishment mm-hmm. only he's doing self corporal punishment. So we're having him doing front back goes, push ups, wall sits. Oh, really? Oh, yes. It's beautiful, too. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. It's beautiful. The only thing we don't do is we don't do it in cadence because my husband hates it when I call cadence. <laughs> <laughs> cadence. Um, That's hilarious. But it's very it's very effective, though. Um, I think he like uh, he has come out and said that he would prefer us to just spank him. And I'm like, no, that's too easy. Like, we're not getting off that easy this time. I don't think so. So yeah, we use that a lot for disciplinary stuff. Um, And then we come up with a lot of, I guess, like more revolutionary things. Like we were going through counseling two or three years ago, whenever I had first gotten diagnosed with cancer. And part of what we were talking about was, you know, like ways, because like we were in the preteen stage, which is obviously different than now, but there's some similarities. And so, like, we were trying to figure out ways to, like, modify his behavior. And, like, we developed this whole, like, point system. Mm-hmm. And, like, we're like a check of cheese type thing, right? So, like, he goes and he can earn points by doing different tasks. Mm. And then he loses points by not doing the task or by talking back or, you know, something else. And then he can use those points and redeem them for rewards. Right. And our counselor was just like, holy crap, where'd you guys get this idea from? And I was like, I don't know. I just made it up. And she's like, How? Like, I talked to parents about this for, like, weeks or months, and they still not getting it. And you guys just developed your entire own system. And I'm like, well, it seemed like a good idea at the time, and it worked really well for a few years. Obviously, now it's kind of by the wayside now that we're a teenager. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, we had to come up with other incentives, right? Like phone time or cash. Right. <laughs> or cash. <laughs> grades. <laughs> cash for good grades is, is definitely one of the rewards these days, mm-hmm. right? Whenever he was, like, 10 years old, you know, a dollar or $2 was cutting. That's like cutting it anymore. No. He's like, all right, dad, I need some real money now. Some big boy money. Exactly. But yeah, so we've used, you know, kind of taken all these things to kind of inform our parenting style. Um, and we definitely make it a point to try and work as a team though. Uh, obviously the opportunity to do so at that given time isn't always there, mm-hmm. uh, but we're still always talking about different ideas, different ways. Um, and definitely always trying to think outside of the box because he's a dynamic kid. And let me tell you, like we have to stay on our toes. Mm-hmm. Um, my most recent thing was like he stuck candy i think last halloween and he was getting like we had been like you know every day after you finish dinner you can have like five to ten pieces uh-huh. or whatever it was because he has braces so um you know we didn't want him to have too much and then we wanted to make sure that he actually brushed his teeth afterwards so he didn't ruin his teeth uh-huh. anyway one night i guess he felt it necessary to help himself uh-huh. and so we caught him so instead of like you know spanking him or like making him do front back goes or any of that stuff you know what he did instead we, we sat him down and he literally had an entire mixing bowl full of candy. And we were just like, there you go. There's your dinner. And he's like, really? We're like, yeah, dig in. You wanted candy so much. I heard you like candy. So we gave you candy and then more candy. <laughs> and uh, needless to say, by the end of it, he was not, he was not a fan of candy anymore. Yeah, I, I would uh, think um, he wouldn't be. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so, I mean, I bring it up 
to this day, even, I'm just like, do you remember that time that you stuck candy? I'm like, do you really want to do that? He's like, uh, let's not. No, I'm good. Uh-huh. I don't even want to talk about it. Like, I'm okay. No, we're good. All right. I'm like, yeah, it, it's way more effective, right? Uh-huh. Than like any of the spanking or any of the other like older thinking, uh-huh. I guess, kind of the more antiquated stuff for parenting. And so things like that, right? right? Trying to think outside of the box, developing creative punishments because they're way more effective and he hates them way more, which is how they're effective. Uh-huh. Because he's like, I don't want to mess up and have to do that crap again. That exactly. was awful. Let's not. Exactly. Let's not. No, that makes that makes a great point. It makes a great point. I, I want to close with um, asking, what advice would you give to fathers? Maybe fathers that um, started off young, like you did, and had to kind of go through that journey, or you know, someone that is is maybe becoming a father now. What would you say to them? You know, whenever I was that young, I really didn't have a lot of people rooting for me. Um, and, and I really used that as kind of like steam in my pipe to keep pushing forward. And that really shouldn't be how it is. Mm-hmm. So if I was talking to somebody else who was in my shoes whenever I was 16 years old or a young father trying to take on the world and doing the best for their kid that they can, mm-hmm. I would just say, don't let anything stop you. The sky's the limit, of course. I mean, you could do anything that you put your mind to and, you know, just get out there and keep hustling. Mm-hmm. I mean, you'll make it one day. It may take a long time for things to come together, and trust me, it does. But, I mean, you're not going to get anywhere if you're standing still. Right. So, no, of course. One foot in front of the other. That's really that's really what it is. Ladies and gentlemen, John Hegwood. <laughs> There's that smile again. <laughs> that's it. It's just basking in the applause. Uh, John, um, before I let you go, I do want to give you an opportunity um, to kind of mention, you know, the things that you may have going on um, that you can, you know, talk about on this platform. Obviously, you talked at length about minority vets. If you want to give like a website or where people can donate or anything like that. Sure thing. Yeah, we're all month. We're still doing our uh, birthday fundraiser. So you can always find that link on our website, minoritybets.org. Um, we also have it on Facebook. Of course, your donation is tax adjustable. We're a 501c3 charity. Also for the Seattle chapter, we do have two events going on this month, uh, at least from my end. We're having our birthday bash on the 23rd of August from 2 to 7 p.m. at Seward Park in Seattle. Um, and that's going to be like, kind of like a meet and greet, meeting people coming out, you know, we can connect veterans with each other and also with different programs that they need, if they're in need of aid. Um, we have a lot of resources that we can offer you guys. So come on out and see us. Um, we're also doing a hike with other veterans from across the entire Pacific Northwest. Um, we will be at the Summit Ridge Trail at 8.30 a.m. on August 29th. That's a Sunday. Um, so don't drink too much on Saturday or drink anyway, and you're going to come out and hate life, but it's going to be a fun time. <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> so it's the Army style, man. It's what we do. <laughs> Hilarious. Hilarious. Well, if this goes up before August 9th, make sure you, uh, if you're part of the Pacific Northwest, that would be dope for sure. But absolutely donate. Minority Vets is a really dope organization, something I've been able to be a part of on the performance end of that for the last couple of years. And it's really cool doing some great things for veterans of color. So shout out to that. Of course, thank you so much for tuning in. Again, this is Lim Gonzalez, aka Saint. And until we speak again, God bless and take care. Colors of Fatherhood is produced by Josh Rodriguez and St. Lee Productions. Please remember to subscribe to this podcast so you can be updated on all future episodes. Make sure to follow us on social media at Stay on the Mic and at Colors of Fatherhood. For all of your inquiries or booking needs, please contact us at saintlybooking at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.